You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 267th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 870th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of October 6th, 2022. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. Oh, Hoosiers have won the national championship. So this week, I did my own little preseason warm-up by taking a deep dive into my synergy and shot quality accounts to write an in-depth Inside the Numbers article for our private community members. You can join us at assemblycall.com community to read it. And the central question I wanted to answer is one that comes up every time we hear about Indiana being in the top five in the country last season and the percentage of its threes that were unguarded. Does Indiana's offense actually need to produce better shots or do the players simply need to make more of the good shots they are already getting? The answer, as you might expect, is both. While IU players up and down the roster did get and miss a lot of unguarded threes last season, the IU offense also produced way too many mid-range shots and long twos to be an efficient one. The path to better offense for Indiana this season is clear. Replace those low-efficiency mid-range twos with three-pointers or shots at the rim. Even if Indiana just shoots its middling 33% from three like last season— more volume in place of long twos will improve the offense's overall efficiency. And while losing your best three-point shooter without adding a proven replacement is a legitimate reason to wonder whether Indiana's shooting can actually be better, the addition of a talented playmaker like Jalen hood Shafino provides a major reason to be optimistic that Indiana's offense will flow better and lead to fewer low-efficiency shots late in the shot clock. But what really got me excited about Indiana improving its offensive efficiency is the oft-discussed expectation that we'll see a lot more pick-and-roll actions with Trace that result in him getting the ball on the move or for easy lob opportunities. This particular action was Indiana's most efficient source of offense last season, producing 1.271 points per possession. The problem is it only occurred on 96 possessions. But consider these splits. Across Indiana's first 24 games, this action occurred just 29 times. Across Indiana's final 11 games, It occurred 67 times. Can Indiana keep up a pace of six per game? Why not? X and Trace clearly developed chemistry last season, and Huchofino's addition provides another skilled playmaker who can initiate it, which then allows Xavier's solid catch-and-shoot three-point game to help space the floor for Trace's role. So, while I am just as impatient as you are to see Indiana become at least an above-average three-point shooting team again, I continue to believe that the most likely path to improved offensive efficiency is simply doubling down on what worked last season. More three-point attempts, even at a similar efficiency, will make IU a better offense, as will unleashing the most devastating role man in college basketball as often as possible. 
Okay, now let me introduce my co-host this week. Coach and Ryan are both off. Coach found a grainy video of Micah Shrewsbury speaking at a coaching clinic and locked himself in his basement with it. Ryan is celebrating the Padres making the baseball playoffs, while the rest of us on this show are simply happy the season is over given the performance of our teams. But here with me is the most fun-loving bracketologist in the world. The best of you sports coaching, you know that we got them. When it comes to analytic trends, you know he can spot them. For first-class bracketology, if you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. We want the top, so we're going bottoms. Andy, what is your bottoms line on Indiana basketball with Hoosier hysteria looming tomorrow? I know. Hard to believe that uh, Hoosier hysteria is, is now. It means the season's right around the corner. I think with from a Hoosier hysteria standpoint, I think the thought with that is what it always is. Don't let anybody get hurt. And uh, everybody, yes. everybody has a good time. I mean, it's it's an event. We're not going to learn a whole lot about the team. Uh, as, as we talked about before, it's really for recruits and, and fans and an exciting way to, to kick off the season in that regard. But, uh, you know, really just a, a chance for people to, to see the guys get out there a little bit. Uh, it doesn't sound like, at least from anything that I read, there's going to be any scrimmaging there, which, um, you know, is is perhaps disappointing. I don't think they did last year, though, so so maybe not surprising. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, the, the closer we get to the season, the more content that comes out that you can kind of look at to, to try to figure out what's going to take place in the league and, and what some of the other teams look like. And that's always an exciting time for me just to try to, you know, get ramped up for the season. And uh, it'll it'll be here before we know it. Absolutely. All righty. Well, here's what we have in store this week. We'll run through a few Hoosier headlines, including the preseason All-Big Ten team as voted on by the media. Uh, and then in segment two, we will ask and answer some burning questions ahead of Hoosier hysteria. And then in segment three, we got some burning questions from you all, from our community members, and so we will answer those as well. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. But first, we have to talk about our presenting sponsor. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Home Field Apparel, because this edition of Assembly Call Radio, like all shows on the Back Home Network, presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you will find anywhere with beloved logos like two different versions of the bison uh, and even the oval, which some people continue to love, uh, which is beyond me, but that's fine. If you want it, Home Field Apparel has it. And the bottom line with Home Field Apparel is they have something not just for IU fans, but for fans of any school, and they make great gifts, which you should definitely be thinking about with Christmas looming. Uh, and one of the cool things is they really make it easy. If you give a gift, they make it easy for people to return it. I gave uh, uh, the, one of the people who, uh, one of my neighbors who lives across the street is a big Kansas fan. We, of course, have been talking a lot of trash with the IU-Kansas game coming up, but it was her birthday, so I got her a couple of cool Kansas shirts, and one of them didn't quite fit right. She was able to go on without even like having the receipt and able to exchange it for something else because they made it that easy. And that's what Home Field Apparel does. They have great logos with all the stories behind them, ridiculously comfortable materials that stay comfortable and with colors that stay bright even through many washings, uh, and they have awesome customer service. And... It's an Indiana company, you know, born and bred in the Kelly School of Business, uh, and they're located in Indianapolis, uh, you know, and just do incredible work. We love Connor. We love their team. We love supporting them. 
uh, and we appreciate them supporting us. So go to homefieldapparel.com. Use our promo code HOME, H-O-M-E, to get 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code HOME for 15% off. Again, the website, homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. All right, Andy. Uh, a couple of Hoosier headlines here. The big one is that Hoosier Hysteria is Friday night. Uh, that is tomorrow. Uh, so we wait. Is it Friday? It's yeah. It's Friday, right? It's not Saturday. It's Friday night. Yeah, it's it's Friday. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Which is which is also tomorrow. As someone who has struggled with what day also it tomorrow. Is this week, yes. <laughs> I can confirm that tomorrow is in fact Friday. Yes. I should trust the run sheet. <laughs> I don't know why I started questioning that. Um, but yes. Yeah, so the lineup of events they're going to do you know the normal team intros i have no idea if you know they have anything special planned for that there's going to be a three-point contest and skills competition plus what they deem other basketball activities and then of course the concert by g herbo which coach tonsoni obviously has been really looking forward to um so we have in the past andy you know done a post hoosier hysteria show uh you know because there was a scrimmage and you know we would kind of treat it like a post-game show you know like our own little warm-up uh, I think, barring some last-minute change, we are going to forego that this year. Uh, we are not going to do a post-Hoosier Hysteria show. You know, there's no scrimmage. Uh, and really, you know, this event, as you mentioned, has become more and more about the recruits and the people in attendance. And obviously, honestly, that's what it should be for. Um, so we all kind of agree that there wasn't a great reason to do a, a post-Hoosier Hysteria show. There really probably hasn't ever been a good reason to do one. I would guess history does not reflect well on the on the takes that we had uh following previous Hoosier hysteria All right. so there was we're just one saving ourselves from ourselves okay but there was there was one take from a Hoosier hysteria that I remember being a good one and it was from the Hoosier hysteria Trace's freshman year and they did the scrimmage and if you remember like he got fouled hard and like or turned it over and they didn't call a foul or something but he got really upset and just like went on to dominate the next like two minutes of play we were all like, I like that compet you know, that competitive streak that Trace showed. And that is something that was an indication of what would, you know, what would be to come from Trace, who's a guy that when you get him kind of turned up and the, the temperature rises a little bit, he gets that look in his eye. He does get extremely competitive. That I think is the only actual like observation from a Hoosier hysteria show that has ever meant anything. Um so anyway, so we're not going to do that. Uh, if you are going to go, I know a lot of people have been asking about the floating head posters. Uh, and so those are, uh, they're on sale. You can order them and have them sent to you. Uh, they're also going to be on sale at the Indiana Team Store uh, inside the west doors of Simon Scott Assembly Hall. They are $12. And I know some people have kind of balked at that, seeing the price. Uh, but, you know, understand that this is now an NIL thing. And so the posters are being produced by Campus Inc., uh, and a portion, I'm not exactly sure how much, uh, but the players will be compensated because obviously their name uh, and image is on those posters. And so that's why they are charging for them. But a lot of that money is going to go to the players. Um, Andy, is there any, I mean, obviously, you know, we'll love to see the highlights and I'm sure, you know, we'll probably get BTN plus subscriptions and watch Who's Your Hysteria, even if we're not doing a show. Is there anything in particular that you're kind of looking forward to when it comes to Who's Your Hysteria? just from a spectator perspective, who's not going to be in the building. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody is looking for reason to get excited after the three point contest. So I would guess with this team based on some of the questions. <laughs> so maybe that's your, uh, maybe that's your end to try to figure out who, who the guy is. that's going to solve some of those, uh, some of those shooting woes. I, I, you know, like I said, I think it's a great chance for people and even for people who may not be able to get to games. 
uh, to be able to be in and, and, and see everybody get announced and, and be close to the program in that way. So um, just, I think given the the level of excitement that there is for the team, I do think there'll be a good energy there, regardless of what you think about the events that, you know, will or won't take place in terms of, you know, not having a scrimmage or, or whatever else. But um, I think it's, a, a, I think that it's going to be great to see the excitement for both the men's and the women's program, both projected to do really well uh, in the league and a lot of things to be excited about. So that's probably what excites me the most is just the, uh, you know, just kind of the buildup and, and the excitement for both seasons. And, and so I think that uh, should lead to a pretty good atmosphere. Uh, in other Indiana news, the preseason all big 10 team as voted on by quote unquote select media. So this is different from the poll that will come out that I think uh, Zach Osterman organizes. I don't actually, I'm not exactly sure who organized or maybe Brendan Quinn organized, used to organize it, but there's a poll that will come out where they take two beat writers from each school and they do it. This is not that, um, but it is the preseason media, uh, all big 10 team. Trace Jackson Davis was named preseason big 10 player of the year. Uh, and of course, as we've mentioned on the show before, if he does actually uh, win that award this season. He would be the first Hoosier to win it uh, since DJ White. He's the first player to be voted uh, preseason Big Ten Player of the Year since Cody Zeller in 2013. Uh, and of course, uh, Cody didn't end up winning it that year. Who won it that year? Was it? Uh, was it? Did Trey Burke beat out Oladipo for Big Ten Player of the Year? I believe he that's must true. have. Yeah. yeah, he must have. Uh, so here is the preseason All Big Ten team. Andy, you've got Trace as the Player of the Year. Uh, Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eady were both unanimous selections. And then Terrence yeah, settle, Shannon. Settle in, everybody. There's there's 10 people, so this is going to take a while for Jared yeah, to get through. It is. Because it is. Obviously, because obviously you're often playing with you have 10 players on the same team on court, so it makes only makes sense to have 10 on the, on the first team. <laughs> yes. So we've got Trace, Hunter Dickinson, and Zach Eady as the unanimous choices. And then Chris Murray from Iowa, Malik Hall from Michigan State, Jamison Battle from Minnesota, Jalen Pickett from Penn State, uh, and Cliff Omaruyi from Rutgers, all uh, preseason, all big. Oh, uh, also, apparently, Chucky Hepburn and Tyler Wall from Wisconsin uh, were named all Big Ten players. How they got voted in over Xavier Johnson and Race Thompson, uh, whose statistics are better than both of those players uh, and have more proven track records. I don't know. But that is what the media decided that Wisconsin, predicted by many to be 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, apparently has two players worthy of uh, a first-team All-Big Ten. Uh, Andy, uh, other than those ridiculous selections, what were your uh, your opening thoughts or your reactions to the preseason All-Big Ten team? Yeah, I mean, all, all kidding aside about the Wisconsin piece of things, I mean, I think most projections have them – maybe around like an eighth, ninth-ish in the league. So it does seem a, a bit odd to me to have two players from a team projected by most to finish that low in there, all kidding aside. Um, Chucky yeah, Hepburn, by the way, time. Chucky Hepburn, his offensive rating last year, under 100, okay? And he used 14% of possessions. Xavier Johnson had an offensive rating of like 102 using 28% of possessions, okay? Xavier Johnson, 34% assist rate. Chucky Hepburn's was like 14 or 15%. There is no argument for Chucky Hepburn on this team over Xavier Johnson. And if you follow Xavier on Twitter, he certainly took notice of it. Um, now, hopefully he channels that as, motivation as the should. right way. Yes, as, as he, he should. should. He should feel disrespected. It's a ridiculous choice. Yeah, I, the only other one that stood out to me as a little bit odd was like was Malik Hall. Um, it, I think it probably felt like a case of... Presumably he's the guy that, that people think is going to be the best on, on Michigan State, but uh, and, and maybe you have to have some 
or feel you have to have some representation of them as a you know potential top four uh, team in the in the league. But that that one seemed a, a little bit odd to me. Um, I think otherwise followed relatively closely. It, it seemed like at least with the um, inside the hall top twenty five. I think Hepburn was another one that obviously was was a bit higher than that. But no no major issues with it. I, I think. I need to go back and look at, at Jalen Pickett's numbers. I, I'd see him ranked pretty high in some of these things and was, I think even in the Almanac picked as a first team, all big 10 player uh, or, or was maybe second team. I, I don't, you know, that struck me as a little bit odd again from a team that was picked below the bottom. I think Jamison battle, if you're going to look at, at people who are um, from, from teams not projected to do well, I think what he did last year would suggest that's probably a reasonable choice, but um but otherwise, I thought that you know lined up pretty well. The Xavier Johnson thing was definitely interesting, given some of the other guards who who did make it. Um, but you know, he seems, uh, as you said, to be a guy who's going to be motivated by something like that. So, uh, not something he's probably going to let go. Uh, I wouldn't guess. Okay, outside of Xavier Johnson, because I think both of us would probably pick him as the answer to this question. If you had to put money on one guy who's not on this list, that ending up on the first or second team All Big Ten from Indiana or, you know, from around the conference, who would you choose? Uh, well, this would be a great time. I really wish I had the uh, inside the whole top 25 list here in, in front of me <laughs> to uh, to look at that. Uh, I definitely think he would be one. Um, yeah, well, who, who do you have? Give me give me a minute to, uh, to, to look up this list here, and then I might be able to give you a better better answer than that. Um, well, I think one guy, and we'll talk about this, uh, in a little bit, I'm not going to be shocked if Jalen Huchifino, uh, is on a list like this, but I'm also pretty high on what he's going to do, uh, as a freshman. Um, you know, I was trying to even think from a team perspective of like, is, you know, is there a team that's not represented that you think might, um, as I think through that, it's, it's, it's hard to tell so many transfers. And we talked about this with Alex, uh, a little bit last week where, you're really trying to think through and figure out where to slot those guys, which is, I think was a difficult exercise. Like you got Matthew Meyer at, at Illinois who maybe could factor into, into that. Um, yeah. You know, and you got you a know, lot of the young ranked, guys, highest ranked player that they had that didn't make it was Caleb Connell uh, for what that's worth. I know that he was a guy that I talked a little bit about last week that, you know, they're kind of giving a nod to him uh, defensively. Uh, compared to compared to that and then you think about ohio state and try to figure out you know, who might be if they end up being a little bit better or a top 14 like who would the who would the guy be from there yeah. zed key was ranked highest on their list i don't know i mean the league that's just teaming with big guys i, I don't know that you um it, you, you know it you really know, seems like him. a year you know because things are kind of thin up at the top i mean i think you've got those three dominant big guys in trace hunter dickinson and zach Eady. And then, you know, everybody expects this big leap from Chris Murray, and no one will be surprised if it happens. You know, and then it's kind of soft after that. And I think, you know, you really could see, you know, a freshman like a Jalen Huchifino, like a Jet Howard, like a Sky Clark, or some of these other highly rated freshmen. You know, there's certainly room for them to jump in uh, and move up. And possibly, you know, some of the sophomores, uh, you know, who were highly rated and maybe struggled. I know... Uh, is it Kobe Bufkin at Michigan and Michigan state has one, another guard Tamar Bates falls into that category, you know, of guys that, you know, okay, they've gotten their feet wet now and maybe they're ready to take a big jump as a sophomore. Um, you know, and so that's the thing, like you see the Jamison battles and the Jalen Pickett's and those are guys that, you know, put up good numbers. Uh, and 
you know, probably, you know, seem like they'll be good choices for like an honorable mention, all Big Ten team. Uh, but it really seems like there's room for some talented young guys to jump up here uh, and seize the day. You know, I I, I think Maryland's going to be better uh, than some other people think. They've got a lot of experience. Um, so I'd be kind of surprised to not see them have one person like a Dante Scott or yeah, somebody. But I don't know Dante exactly Scott, who yeah. it would be because um, I think they'll be better than Minnesota and Penn State and some of these other teams. So, it, you know, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think, you know, and Alex and Dylan talked about it. It's like once you get past the first few, I mean, it gets hard to separate those guys, you know, because there's not a whole lot separating player number five and player number 30 in the conference this year. You know, there's just not. So, yeah, I'd be I'd be curious just to see kind of how the votes were tabulated there. You talked about the guys who are unanimous. I think those were the obvious, obvious choices. And, you know, are things pretty evenly distributed against, you know, in this case, the next seven guys was a really a big difference between the guy who was 10th versus 11th on here. Yeah, uh, I would tend to think not. I think you have a bunch of guys that are gonna, you're going to split votes between, and so much of it is. I think maybe that's the the it, the question with X. It's you do kind of feel like you know what you're going to get from him. I think there's a lot of projection that you have to put on a number of these other guys. I mean, Hepburn, they're expecting to take a leap because he has to um, if they're <laughs> going to be competitive. I, I think you know Tyler Wald, same way he you know, still more of a role guy. And how does he do that? You've got the transfers. It's complete projection with a Terrence Shannon, who I think everybody expects to be good, but you don't know. Uh, and so I think you, you get some of that where at least, a you know, a, a picket is a, at least a semi known commodity from a year ago. But yeah, I don't know if people thought X kind of maxed out what he was last year. And, and, and when projecting what these other guys can become or the roles that they may have this year, it's, and, and maybe people think he takes a little bit of a step back and, they surpass them. I, I, yeah, I don't know, but there's not a lot of known, not a lot of known commodities, which I think makes the exercise pretty tough. And I would guess you see a pretty widely distributed group of votes across the set of the next, you know, 10 to 12 players would be my guess. Trenton Kirk in the chat throws in a vote for Boo Booey from Northwestern. So I know he made the inside the hall list. Well, yeah, we'll see, you know, the at the end of the day, teens, I mean, I want to say, yeah, I mean, way too early top 25s and preseason bracketology and preseason all big 10 teams. Like it is fun to pass, you know, the interminable amount of time between the beginning of April and November when the season starts and we talk about it and it is entertaining. I'm very much looking forward to having actual games and actual data to start talking about this stuff. And let's see who actually ends up on the list, you know, because we know there's always surprises. There's always disappointments. Um, and I'm just ready for the season to start. So let's move on here, Mr. Bottoms. Uh, coming up on Assembly Call Radio, we are going to discuss some burning questions and maybe even give a few hot takes with anticipation for another season of IU basketball ramping up with Hoosier Hysteria coming. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Good to see so many folks here. Uh, I saw Phil uh, called out Jen and Kathy, the hardest working women uh, in podcast listening. That is definitely true. Uh, and Jen, all of them, just amazing listeners. We appreciate you. Um, yeah, I'd see some conversation about Tamar in here. Uh, by the way, I will say, you know, one thing. Did you see the video that uh, was it Indiana that put it out? Or maybe it was... Uh, out of that Kavanaugh's Corner account, I think, 
tweeted a video with Tamar shooting and the gains he has made in the weight room are noticeable. Like he looks like noticeably kind of more built. He has clearly put in a lot of time and that's going to help him. You know, obviously I think there were times offensively last year where he would kind of drive in and maybe get knocked off his spot a little bit and kind of throw off an off balance shot. If he's ready to be a little bit sturdier uh, and if his three point shot, you know, if he's kind of got the speed of the game down and you know his three point shot is more consistent, he is going to be tough to cover uh, with his ability to score at three levels. Um, so I am uh, I'm all in on the Tamar Bates excitement. Kathy says, will we be having the over under show with mediocre Jay? Well, that really depends on Jay coming through. I got his mediocre question about 10 minutes before the show started tonight. He forgot about it. I had to text him. Other people are posting over-unders in the community because we're desperate for these kinds of discussions, and he's dropping the ball, not doing it. So Jay really needs to step up his game. And if he's ready, then we'll do the over-under episode. And if not, we'll have to figure something else out. Maybe we'll have to write the over-under questions. Maybe I yeah I forget I think we uh, I think he sent out the results at some point last year I think I I think I actually won and it was just not it's not discussed at all but you know <laughs> we, I don't know anybody that particularly good but I just let it be known that I I think I did win um, so yeah uh, yeah we need to go back and look at those we'll we'll take some inventory when we do that I think show. we did at one point maybe it wasn't the end of the season it was close to the end of the season I I, I forget I don't know yeah um, all right let's hop in and let's do segment two. Here we go. Hey, this is Max Bielfeld, Big Ten champ and better than advertised sixth man of the year in 2016. And speaking of better than advertised, join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Max. Welcome back to the assembly call. I am Jared Morris. Here with Andy Bottoms and, you know, Andy, Hoosier Hysteria is coming tomorrow. We are just a few weeks from exhibition games starting and then from getting the real thing after that. Uh, And this is going to be a season, unlike some in the past, that have been slow to ramp up with a lot of cupcakes. This is a season that is going to get serious very quick, uh, which I know we are all excited about. And so, you know, with excitement high in the season, you know, coming closer, I figured it was time to, you know, ask a few burning questions and give some takes, you know, on kind of what's on our mind with the team here as we come up uh, on the season. So let me begin with this one to you. Uh, What are you most excited about for this Indiana season? And not just like something general, like we have a good team, like something specific uh, that maybe hasn't been discussed that much that you're really excited to see with this group. I think there's there's two things for me. One, it's the the those marquee non-conference games. Um, now, if those go those go poorly, then maybe I'll retract <laughs> this. But I, um, but I do think being uh, in some of the you know the the Big Ten ACC challenges is one thing, but the Kansas game uh, maybe because it it makes me think back to those times in the '90s when they would play Kansas with some regularity. I think the Arizona game in Vegas is going to be really good. So seeing that caliber of non-conference games and a real chance for this team to measure itself early on uh, and, and maybe either uh, bolster people's opinions of what they're going to be able to accomplish or make people a little bit fearful of that. And, and the other, I think is really just to, to see whether they can carry over the momentum that they had at the end of the season uh, into this year. If some of the things that they really unlocked late 
are transferable and they're able to build on that. I think that's leading to people projecting them to be at the top of the Big Ten and, and ranked where they are because I think the belief is, hey, they figured some things out. This is now the baseline for what they'll do going forward, and they have the pieces to make it better um, this season. But it's also easy to you know, kind of forget some of that where if not for that second half of that Michigan game, they're not even playing in the NCAA tournament. So um, you, you kind of – but I, I do think what was there was real. So in my eyes, I, I still find that part exciting. But I, I think it's, uh, you know, just seeing – if they can continue that progression as opposed to taking a step back and having to rebuild some things uh, back up again over the course of the season versus picking up where they left off. Yeah, both of those are great, and I agree with both of them. Uh, I think for me, what I'm most excited about, and it goes along a little bit with what you said about you know some of the, the marquee non-conference games, but it's just being part of the national conversation again about college basketball, mattering. You know, tuning in to the Ion College Basketball Podcast and Indiana being a regular topic, you know, not just, you know, a team that they talk about when they pick, you know, their the, the final four and one, you know, when they're picking their games, um, you know, being, you know, a team that starts out in the top 25 that is expected to compete for a Big Ten title and hopefully, you know, maintains that status all season long. I mean, that this is the Indiana basketball that we grew up on, where Indiana was at the center of the college basketball universe. You know, and you know, I think about, you know, so I met my wife in 2013, in April 2013. So right after, uh, you know, that great season came to a close. And since then, Indiana has really mattered in the college basketball conversation for about two months at the end of the 2016 season when, you know, win the Big Ten, playing really good basketball. And other than that, we've had little moments where we've cropped up, but never really been what Indiana basketball is. Um you know, and I'm excited to have that again, you know, to kind of show that to her and to experience it. Be like, see, I'm not that crazy. <laughs> I mean, we are crazy. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's it's time for that to happen. Um, and it, you know, kind of feels like this offseason has kind of ramping that up some. Um, and hopefully the team's play on the court will warrant staying in that conversation uh, all season long. But I'm just excited uh, to, to kind of feel that again and be a part of that again, because that's what Indiana basketball should be. And it's about time that we've gotten back there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that ties in well with the non-conference games and um uh, yeah, you, you hope that you live up to it. I think we've talked ourselves into this probably every season, uh, <laughs> but this one feels like the uh, you know maybe the, the most the most realistic, if if you will. Uh, but yeah, definitely exciting to be be back part of that, and uh, hopefully that that can sustain itself throughout the whole season and not just in fits and spurts. All right, now let me flip that question on its head. What are you most worried about for this season? Um, I mean, I think there's different directions you could, you could go with this. I think, um, I, I think I worry a little bit about, uh, what has Woodson kind of learned from a year ago and do we see some of the first unit, second unit things? And even though I think we all believe the second unit this year would be far better than the second unit a year ago, um, uh, I don't know that that shows the adaptability that you want to be able to see from a coach to really be able to figure some of those things out. So um, is it a case where he's just setting his ways from an NBA mindset of, of 
doling out minutes and setting up rotations that way? Or is he able to mix and match some of the pieces that, that we have? And I, I think going along with that a little bit is, you know, last year showed a, a real, a, a real uh, preference to go with some of the veteran guys. Does he get away from that as guys evolve over the course of the season? Or does it seem like the, you know, kind of same thing before? Cause I think hard pressed to say that the talent isn't there for this team to figure that out. But if the talent isn't able to be used correctly and kind of matched up correctly and, um, I, I think, I think that's what concerns me the most. I think shooting, you know, continued shooting woes is probably after that, but, um, perhaps I should have chosen my answers differently given one of the other questions coming up, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Those are all valid things, uh, to be worried about. I think for me, and I've mentioned this before, um, on a previous show is I think I'm the most you know, it, it's it's one of those double-edged swords. It's like, okay, the, the roster is loaded with talent. There's so much competition in practice, and we've been hearing about that, and that is all awesome. But I am a little worried about everybody staying on the same page when the inevitable reality of 200 minutes per game hits. Uh, you know, because there are certain guys that are going to get, you know, their full allotment of minutes, and then who gets the rest? And, I, you know, I think Miller Cop spoke to this a little bit uh, at his media availability, I read some of the comments, you know, where someone kind of asked him about, you know, the rotations on the wing and all the options that there are there. And it's great to have so many options and so many talented options and so many experienced options. But he even said, you know, we're, we're kind of curious how that's going to work out too. Um, and, you know, the, the thing that makes me less worried about this is with all of the individual players, we have absolutely zero reason to believe that they're anything but team first guys. You know, and so that is a, a positive here. It's not like we have guys who have shown a propensity for being malcontents, you know, that need to be managed. We haven't seen any of that. And so that is all good, you know, but you do have guys who had the opportunity to transfer and came back, you know, and are going to want minutes. And you have young guys that are getting their first taste of college basketball and are going to want minutes. And you have old guys that are getting their last go around and are going to want minutes. And they're all good players. And so... That is going to be, I think, a big job of the coaching staff to keep everybody on the same page, to define roles and help guys excel in those roles, you know, and, and obviously Woody has a great reputation as a, as a player's coach and for building relationships and has a lot of experience doing that in the NBA. It's obviously a little bit of a different mindset in college, you know, less mature minds and bodies that you're dealing with. And so, you know, maybe some of the the strategies that you use to, you know, keep professionals who are getting paid, you know, focused on their role is different, you know, from a college guy uh, who is getting paid some now with NIL, you know, but it's still a little bit of a different relationship. And so that that's kind of my lingering, you know, worry because only five guys can play, but it takes 13 guys to be on the same page, you know, to, to have, you know, the togetherness that you need to get through a season. Um, and I think we, to be clear, we have every reason to believe this group will be able to do that. But the reality of 200 minutes a game for talented, good players can hit everybody differently. And I think if we if we get to the end of the season, barring injury, um, and we say, man, that really didn't go how we thought it was going to go, um, I think that'll be one of the culprits. But I'm, I'm excited about how the season is going to go, so I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying it is a lingering worry in the back of my mind. Um, and I'm sure the coaching staff is thinking about it, planning for it, doing everything they can to to prevent it from happening. Um, but we've all seen talented teams go wrong. And so hopefully that is not something that this team ends up having to deal with. 
Yeah, I, I think that some of that goes hand in hand with what I said and you said. It's it's a good problem to have, but also just trying to figure out how can you do that in a way that's effective and and lets guys grow, lets guys lets guys that rest need to rest, lets guys you know gives guys opportunities to grow and, and challenge themselves a little bit with other good players on the floor, uh, as we talked about you know countless times a year ago and and so how do you how do you balance that out and get people to buy in and then you've got some people who are inevitably going to be left out of that rotation because you're not going to play 13 guys and um everybody's going to have have put in the work and feel they've got the right to do that so that's a uh you know their kind of personnel management opportunity as as you mentioned kathy says i'm worried we have a tough start and fans start flipping out with the harder non-conference games uh i I don't know who that would be. It's completely ridiculous. <laughs> um, what what Indiana fans flip out at a tough start? Come on, Kathy. We're all very reasonable people all the time. Uh, but you know that is the other part with the with the high expectations is you know there's there's pressure now to live up to those expectations, and I, and I guess you know maybe that does kind of go hand in hand with what I'm worried about is you now have you know, guys who very quickly flipped from being the hunters to the hunted without much of a transition phase. You know, this is a program that's been seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth in the conference, you know, you know, hovering right around 500 or a little bit below. And now all of a sudden they're thrust into the role of, you know, you're expected to win the entire conference. And that's an interesting kind of mental shift to make, you know, and are the leaders of this team ready to make it because they haven't walked in those shoes before. Uh, and so that I think is going to be interesting too. And I actually think having some young guys that have played with expectations like a Jalen Hutchifino and Malik Renault, who I expect to get big minutes. I think that kind of mindset is actually going to help because they're used to being the hunted, you know, where everybody wants to, wants to beat them. Um, and the players who have played at Indiana haven't experienced that in a while. Um, so how, how did the guys handle that? You know, I think a lot of this, I think physically this team is going to be really good. You know, we have all the size, the skill, the athleticism. Could shoot a little bit better, but there's plenty of skill there to win the Big Ten. It's all what happens up here, you know, mentally. Uh, and if this team is ready to go, you know, the sky's the limit. But it's college kids, and, you know, sometimes sometimes the, you know, the mentals aren't always quite there uh, where you want them. Um, okay, let's go on to the next question. What player do you think you're higher on than most? These next couple were, were kind of tough ones. There's players I thought about in, in both buckets, uh, which doesn't make a ton of sense, uh, you know, given what the, ne- the next question is. People can probably guess is somebody maybe you're, uh, you're lower on than others. I, I, I want to go with Malik Renault. Um, Ooh. I think – you know, he's one I actually thought of in the other bucket as well, though, because I don't know how many minutes he's going to get, but I think he's going to be productive and, and I think he'll play. And, and some of it is, goes back to what you said um, before about, you know, more so than a number of, ca- of high school kids, they've played in higher pressure, more competitive environments than, uh, than, than some others. And so I think that puts him in a, in a good spot to be successful. We heard, ton of good things about him from a, a practice perspective and, and the other players, the way they talked about him. Um, and I think his ability to go against race and trace and practice every day is going to get him well prepared for, um, you know, getting minutes. And I think he can do, you know, enough things inside both defensively and offensively that, that maybe he carves out a, a little bigger role than you might expect. 
with two returning guys in the front court who played tons of minutes a year ago. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. Um, you know, I'm obviously high on Tamar, but I think a lot of people are high on Tamar. Very high on Jalen Hood Shafino, but a lot of people are high on Jalen Hood Shafino. Um, and that hype train is not hard. I felt down. like, yeah, I know. That's, that's <laughs> what made it hard because I was like, man, try picking a guy that people aren't high on, which maybe, I know. Is, maybe is part of the uh, part of the issue. I don't know. Yes. Um, I think the answer I'm going to go with here is Miller Cop. Uh, I find myself getting in discussions with IU fans about Miller Cop now, probably more than anybody. Uh, you know, and I think. I think a lot of fans have a flawed um, and maybe incomplete um, or maybe even unfair view of, of Miller Cop's performance last year. And it's not to say that it was great because it wasn't, um, you know, and he needs to be better. But I think, you know, Miller Cop's growth as a defensive player, I think, was underrated last season. Uh, I think he was forced to play in a lot of suboptimal lineups. We banged the drum all season long, Andy, about why the lineups with him and Parker Stewart starting in theory made some sense because you have, you know, two guys who can stand there and space the floor, but in reality, they didn't work. Um, and I think this year he's going to be playing more often with a couple of different playmakers out there. He's entering the season fully healthy. You know, he dealt with injuries last season. Um, and frankly, I think on a team that ended up needing to bail itself out a lot at the end of the shot clock. He ended up taking, you know, way more long twos than he should have. Uh, and I anticipate him getting, you know, being able to enjoy a shot profile that is uh, more in line with his skills this season. Um, and so, you know, I really, I think people were very quick to, you know, kind of throw him to the bench and say that he's not going to be starting or shouldn't be starting. I think he absolutely is going to start. Now we'll see what his role evolves into. I can definitely see him becoming a second unit guy if Tamar Bates emerges, but being kind of the scorer in a second unit, you know, or that bench guy who comes in and gives you a spark like we've seen from a Colin Hartman or from a Max Bielfeld, that experienced guy who can settle you down, win some games. But I think Miller Kopp is going to be one of the most important players on this team because he's the most proven shooter. He's got a lot of experience, uh, and I think he's a really good team defender on a team that is going to once again be driven by its defense. Um, and I just, you know, I, I think, you know, people saw some of the shooting inconsistencies and I get that's the main thing he was there to do. And that colors the perception of everything. Um, but I, I, the more I look at this season, I really think that there's a path to him having a really big uh, final go around. Uh, I think the lineups are going to fit better for what he does. Uh, and I just expect more out of him because he seems like a guy who's really mentally ready to have a big uh, final season. Um, so I think, I think it's probably Miller just based on conversations I've had with, with other IU fans. Um, yeah, yeah, the other, you know, I could see one of, if you really want to go further off the radar, like could a CJ gun work his way into the rotation as a guy who might come, be able to come in and get you a couple baskets. What does Caleb Banks look like? I mean, I think it's, if you're going further off the radar, does one of those, I don't think both of them can carve out some kind of role within the rotation, but one of them could, I don't know that it's clear which one they're not playing the same position, obviously, but um, you know, can, can a guy like that carve out enough time to get minutes on the, on the team? I think the potential is there. Um, you know, I would lean maybe toward gun just cause he more of a scorer and a, and a shooter. And that maybe fits a little bit better, but he was, he was another guy I thought of, but I, felt that was maybe too far off the radar. I had too many guys to leap to really get into the conversation. Yeah. 
Okay, flip side. What player do you think that you are lower on than most? Um, I would say Coach Marlowe is not going to like this, but uh, I, oh I would boy. say Trey. I think the, I think the challenge becomes if if you look at other guys he's competing for minutes with at the, you know, at the three essentially. You know, you've got Cop who would start there. If you, if Bates and or Huchifino are what you think they're going to be, if they both are for sure, um, I I just I think the struggle there is like what kind of minutes can he get? I think the injury is part of it as well. Uh, what was he really able to do more recently to improve his game? That you know everybody's kind of beaten the you know his shot into the into the ground. Has he really? You know, what chances has he had to work on that with the injuries and different things like that? I just think it's a minutes thing. I don't know that it's I don't it's not a case of I don't think he's a good player, but it's where do the minutes come from in order for him to you know really make a substantial impact on the on the team. And I know like you know Torvik's stuff is at this time of year is not is not everything, but I mean he's got him projected as the you know fifth highest leading scorer on the team, which I you know I, I know that's just an algorithm. It's not necessarily uh, anything that you want to. <laughs> you know, hang your hat on there, but, uh, you know, so that, that, that's who I would say. Um, but you can make arguments either way. I just think, I just think his, the competition for minutes at the positions that he's going to play is a lot more than what it was a year ago. So how does he carve out the same number of minutes? It's not just an algorithm. It's an algorithm by a Wisconsin fan. So trust well, it at your, at your peril. Um, Trey's an interesting one. Uh, so for mine, I'm going to go with Jordan Geronimo. Um, again, I think Jordan and Trey will both be better players than they were last year. I think really the way that I looked at this is which player do I think is going to get fewer minutes than kind of the conventional wisdom. Um, and I see a, a, I see a path to more minutes for Trey than Jordan because of the need to have that second, you know, another playmaker out there. And, and that's what I think the coaches really love about Trey, you know, in addition to just his defense and his competitiveness and his toughness and all that stuff the ball really moves when he's on the court. And I'm really going to be interested to see what happens with the guard rotation because I fully expect X and and Jalen to start. I think both of them are going to start. So then what happens with the second unit? You know, does one of them go out and the other one stays in? How are you balancing that? Um, if you're building this offense around having a couple of playmakers, well, Trey is now the other guy who can kind of slide into that. You know, hopefully Tamar can be a guy that can create offense for others in addition to himself. But I think his focus needs to be on going and getting buckets. Um, and so Trey is a guy who has struggled to get his own offense. But when he's going well, uh, you know, is able to, to help produce offense for other guys, not always getting the assist, but kind of getting the hockey assist and just, you know, kind of just moving the ball with the kinetic energy that he has. So I, I can see an easier path to him maintaining his minutes. And I struggle with it a little bit with Jordan. Um, you know, we've had all the talk about him playing the three. I would love to see it happen, and I hope it happens. For a team with this high of expectations and this many tough non-conference games, I struggle to see where you're really going to experiment with that in season. you know. And so I really wonder if that's actually going to happen come Big Ten play. And if he's playing the four, well, now you know he's competing with Race and Trace and Malik Renault and even you know Miller Cop sliding down there and, and these other options. And there are absolutely going to be matchups where you want him, and he provides a spark, and he does Jordan Geronimo things. Like, we'll win two or three games this year because Jordan comes in and gets a game ball and is awesome. 
Like that's going to happen. But game in, game out, I just struggle to see it. And maybe it's one of those things you got to kind of see it to believe it with him. Um, and, and I want to see it because I he's a, a phenomenal guy, you know, and I want to see him succeed. But I just, as I start projecting things forward, he's the one I always end up coming up short on with the minutes because I just find it harder to justify where he's going to fit in those lineups and those different things, um, you know, outside of injuries and foul trouble and some of that stuff. So, you know, we'll see. I think you could probably argue it the other way, um, you know, with some with some heft behind it, especially based on how he played at the end of last year. Um, but personally, I'm just struggling to see it right now. Well, and I think that was, you know, one of the other things for me with Trey is you think about minutes. You know, if Geronimo really does get minutes at the three, there's another wing guy to potentially take some of those minutes from him. Now, to your point, I don't think any of us know how much of a reality that will that will truly be. And I think as we get further into the season, it'll become pretty obvious because I'm like you. I don't think that – I think what you're going to see in the first, you know, few weeks of the season is going to be where that's going to play out. It's, it's not as if he's going to – play his way into more minutes at the three he's either going to start doing it at the beginning and we'll see it happen maybe he plays his way out of it but I don't think if he's not playing that role at the beginning he's not going to play his way into it over the course of the season so I think that's fair yeah I mean look again this is a team with expectations and a team that can do some things really well it's like people talking about Trace taking threes yeah I bet early in some non-conference games I bet we'll see him taking some three-pointers but I bet by the time Big Ten play comes around He's not going to be doing that as much. You know, he's going to be doing the stuff he's really good at and that has him as an All-American. Now, maybe you sprinkle it in a little bit, but that's the one thing, you know, if I've learned anything, <laughs> you know, as we've gone through these shows and this whole cycle of off-season to season and off-season to season, there's a whole lot of stuff that gets talked about in the off-season. But, man, when it gets down to Big Ten play, what do you actually do well? What can you really count on? What are you elite at? Because that's what this team... You know, and unfortunately, we've had too many seasons where this team hasn't had a whole lot to bank on. Now, I think there's some stuff this team does that is really good. And you have some young guys that if they evolve can add to that. And I just think these experiments with guys trying stuff out, I don't see it when the expectation is, you know, Big Ten title and you're a top 15 team. You don't have a lot of room for experimentation. You got to go win games, you know. And so do I expect to see Jordan get some some, you know, some time maybe in exhibition games and in some of the cupcake games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, they probably had those conversations. I'm sure the coaches want to give him a chance to do it and see what he can do, you know, out there on the court, assuming he's, you know, shown something in practice. But I just think you got to be careful with some of these offseason narratives and remember what happens in the dog days of January and February. <laughs> you know, you lean on the stuff that you're really good at. And I just struggle to see how that's going to be one of the things uh, that's going to fall into that category for IU. Uh, okay. And one more burning question here before we get into, uh, or actually, I guess we got a couple. What are you watching most closely as it pertains to Coach Woodson? Uh, you know, I think I talked about it earlier. It's just the, the rotational stuff and how he divvies up the, not even necessarily divvying up the playing time, but I think more the, do we see an evolution of how he's, is he playing first and second units again? Do we see some of the in-game stuff that will, um, you know, do we see some differences there in the way, in, in terms of the way he manages games or, or things like that? But I, I think the biggest for me is just the, you know, the the first unit, second unit type stuff. I think if they can get away from that, I think it becomes beneficial to the new guys. We talked about this at length with Tamar, you know, how much better might his season have been 
that he had more opportunities to play with some as a complimentary player uh, as opposed to, you know, some of the times of that second unit being counted on to do maybe more than he was capable of at that particular point. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I think how he manages roles and minutes throughout the season. You know, I know he has said that he wants to play a 10-man rotation. Um, okay, does that persist through Big Ten play? I get that in the non-conference. Um, you know, <clears throat> you know, trying to get, you know, work some more guys in and and you know, you've got some more options now where Malik Renault can play more minutes than a Michael Durr could and take some pressure off of Trace and Race. Um, but as we've seen, the best teams usually get down to a seven to eight core, seven to eight man core rotation, um, in college hoops, you know? And so what, what is actually going to happen there for Indiana is how, and how does he manage the young guys? Um, you know, that, that will, uh, also be interesting to see. Um, all right. Well, the other question I put here is three hot takes that you're willing to put on the record right now. Maybe we'll save that because you didn't get a chance to prepare this. <clears throat> I have a few, but maybe we'll save that for when Coach and Ryan are here so we can get their hot takes as well. What do you say? Right, that sounds like a plan. That sounds like okay. a plan since it's already 55 minutes in. That seems like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and we, and we got a lot of good questions from the audience or from the, from the community. So we will do that. Okay, so that was a fun little run through some burning questions here with Hoosier Hysteria coming up. <clears throat> Stick with us here. We are going to jump into segment three and answer some awesome questions submitted from community members in the mailbag segment. That's next. Stick with us. Yeah, man, my allergies have been something fierce with the weather changing. Oh, man. So I apologize for sniffles, sneezes, coughs, all that stuff. It gets rough. It gets rough. Um, Okay. Good stuff. I saw a lot of people had good ideas here in the chat too on some of the questions. I always appreciate you guys chiming in. Yeah. While we are yeah, here the live. Was, the player stuff was hard. There's a lot of uh, a lot of high expectations for a lot of guys. So it was on the <clears> one <throat> hand, uh maybe easy to pick guys who would be less than that, but finding somebody you thought might be a little bit better was uh was a little little tricky yeah. given the high expectations for most of the guys you really, really would expect to carve out major roles in the rotation. Yeah. Um, all right, let's hop in to segment three here. <coughs> Andy, just be ready to jump in at a moment's notice here if I if I start <laughs> if you pass going, out and yeah, if I, <laughs> if I start coughing. Um all right, <clears throat> here we go. It's Ethan Happ. And I never listen to the assembly call, especially the episodes that Ryan is on. Now, there's a legit preseason first team All Big Ten selection from Wisconsin, Ethan Happ. Thanks for, thanks for your words there, Ethan. Uh, I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms. You are listening to the assembly call, and it is segment three, which means it is time for our mailbag. All of these questions submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about and join at assemblycall.com/community. Um, we're going to have some exciting stuff happening this year. We'll announce it in the next week or two, uh, but some fun things that we're going to be doing this season. Uh, so, you know, join now. You can join when we talk about those things, but it's assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, Andy, let's hop in and answer some of these questions. The first one from Steven, my favorite question, have we lost our recruiting momentum? Do you want to take a stab at this one? No. 
I mean, I, I mean, maybe no in multiple ways. Uh, no, I don't want to hear you stabbing Anthony. I, 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 I'm trying to think of a saying to to kind of um, adjust to, uh, you know, figure out what this is. What does they say in baseball? Like momentum is the next day's starting pitcher or something like yeah. that. Uh, like yeah momentum is the next recruit that you sign and then everybody gets excited again and everything's fine um I, it, are there guys that they've missed out on yes um but i don't think that's the end of the world i think if they perform well enough this year you can figure things out in the transfer portal you can figure things out on the recruiting trail I, I think to a certain extent there's probably recruits who are still a little bit unsure of what the system really looks like and and did some people give pause to the way that Bates was used last year, some of those things. And and so again, depending upon what the season looks like, it might answer some more questions where you start to see what this program is becoming under the current staff and things like that. So I'm not concerned yet uh, at this point. So I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I mean, look, like to be fair, have we lost our recruiting momentum? Like, I mean, the actual answer is probably yes, but it's just because recruiting momentum is like this, kind of subjective thing that to a certain extent is just all about media narratives but may not actually reflect the truth and it really doesn't matter because as soon as things pick up again or you get a good transfer you do something else you can get that momentum right back so I just I'm just not that concerned about what the quote-unquote momentum feels like in October with the most hotly anticipated IU season in a decade about to start. Um, that's what matters. And that can rebuild a whole lot of momentum. And it's just a different, you know, era of college basketball with how momentum goes. So to be fair to Steven, you know, the answer to that question is probably yes. It's just how much does that matter in October? And I just don't think it really does. So that's what I'm looking at. Uh, from Luke, what is a must for this team to meet expectations and win the Big Ten this year? What do you think? Like what is a, a thing must? That must a, happen? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. What well, is because at first I thought it was expectations, but then it was like, and win the Big Ten title. I was like, oh, well, that is the expectation. Yeah, I didn't read this question before I put it on here. It is worded a little awkwardly. What is a must for this team to meet expectations and win the Big Ten title this year? Um, I, I think. So, I think. If take I that however you want. <laughs> yeah. But if I interpret it as like what things, what what is something that must happen for IU to win the Big Ten title? Um. I think you need to to get consistent contributions from Huchifino and Tamar Bates. Um, you need yeah. more, you know, as Coach always says, it's a guards game. How do you get more production from that spot that's not just Xavier Johnson? I think you know what you're going to get from Race and Trace. I think you can piece together enough other things in the front court, but do you have other guys who can play, make, score, make jump shots? I think those are the things that really would would take this. Them reaching their ceiling allows the team to reach their ceiling. Yeah, um, and I would just add to that, I think a must for this team to meet expectations and win the Big Ten title is Malik Renault needs to be really good. Um, and he can come along a little bit slowly, but just look at last year, how important Michael Durr was um, in a couple of wins and how important him being more productive would have been in some losses. And I think Malik Renault can be the guy that comes in and saves Indiana in games where Trace you know, is you know, out with foul trouble or whatever. Um, and can also just be another piece, 
that is just a reliable scoring option coming off the bench. Um, and if you're going to win the Big Ten, that's what you need. You know, you need guys seven and eight to be reliable players that you can really count on, like a Max Bielfeld, you know. Um, and so I think that's that's also going to be uh, important for him as well. Um, okay, from David, what ex-Hoosier still playing in the NCAA will average the most points this season? I think that would be between Durr, Lander, Finnessy, and Jerome Hunter. <laughs> Some... <laughs> Who will average the most points? Oh, I don't really know. Like, uh, what's Hunter's role on Xavier going to be? Is I mean, he a rotation he a guy huge, for them? He didn't really have a huge role last year, and I don't know that that – I find it hard for that one to change. At least you kind of saw what he looked like in that system a year ago, so it, it feels like that one is is potentially unlikely. Um, did Durr, he went back to South Florida. Is that accurate? I'm actually not totally sure. I don't know Excellent. where you're going. We're well prepared to answer this question. Okay, but, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, but here's the but Michael Durr is not gonna be the answer. South I would have I would have looked into it, but I just I don't think Michael Durr is gonna be the answer to that question. Yeah, I mean I feel like it's probably Lander. Um and you know, there, there's some decent talent at Western Kentucky, although I think that's always the case. You know, Stansbury tends to get a lot of uh Oh, Parker Stewart. We forgot about Parker Stewart. Well, the question oh, well, I forgot about easy. Parker Stewart. There we go. Yeah. That's the answer. Well, that would feel like that would feel like <laughs> the easy answer. Uh, I was yeah. only trying to answer among the players I was given, but I, I would say of the ones listed, I would say Lander. Um, oh, geez, Armand Franklin. <laughs> okay, so he said, "What ex Hoosier still who... playing?" He said, "I think that would be between Durlander, Finnessy, and Hunter." So I think he meant for that question to be inclusive and just forgot Armand and Parker, who are really the two guys that would compete who for would... this title. Who would most likely be there? That's a fair, fair point. Uh, of the options given, I'll say Lander. <laughs> of the totality of the options, I would say Parker Stewart. Yes. And I think Armand's going to have a big year and Virginia's going to be good. So they'll be fun to watch. Uh, I did think of you the other day. I saw that uh, I saw that Ty Jerome got signed by somebody. I don't remember who it was, but you, you probably know, you know. Uh, wasn't it like OKC or Utah or one of those teams that's like tanking slash rebuilding to try and get Victor Wembenyama? I think it was. I, think, I, I don't think it. Uh, no, I'm so I glad think, that that. I think it's a Warrior. I think it's a Warriors actually. Ty Jerome got signed by the Warriors. I think so. Okay. Well, then you can let Clay or Draymond go. You got your you got your replacement ready to go there. I believe I believe that's what this says. Also, just fun fact: when you Google Ty Jerome, the first question under people also ask is Ty Jerome white or black? Okay, great. It's <laughs> a fair question. <laughs> uh, um, okay, Valerie says, "Any word on Kentucky? What have you heard?" Uh, I've heard just what everybody else has heard, which is the chatter that we've seen coming out where. You know, Mike Woodson, I think, said it's certainly a possibility or something, which you could have said whether it actually was or not. I guess yeah. we understand that's a possibility. But it does seem like there's kind of some momentum moving toward it, um, probably to be at neutral sites. Fine. You know, whatever. Um, but it does seem like there is some actual momentum toward it happening. So, like, I, I guess just based on, like, all the stuff that I've heard and read, which is probably similar to the stuff you all have heard and read, I think it's more likely than not to happen in the next few years, but it's, you know, nothing obviously is set in stone yet. 
and it'd be fun. I would, you know, I, I think I think most IU fans have reached the point where there's no desperation to get it back, but it would be fun to have it back. You know, I think as soon as it came back, we'd all be like, okay, this feels right again. You know, we need to be playing these guys every year. And hopefully we'll have teams that are actually ready for that challenge. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it would be good. I They might, maybe they'll play in Spokane um, since, <laughs> yeah. Play them at the Kettler kennel. really seems to want to play there. Perfect. <laughs> Michael um, transferred not back to South Florida, but he transferred to Central Florida this time. Central Florida. Okay. I wish him, yeah, I mean, I wish him well. I just, you know, I don't think he'll be scoring more points than those other guys. Uh, okay, from Bob. How do you all watch IU games in preparation for post-game analysis? Do you chart the games at all, key in on certain players' moments, furiously take notes, or just organically watch as a fan and wing it? <clears throat> What's I your... It, I wish it was. I wish it was the last one. <laughs> uh i am one uh i i i got in the habit of this maybe two three years ago and for that so for the last couple years like i've kind of not not exactly i I guess you could say charted possessions basically who took the shot what happened did they score uh it's kind of why a lot of times i'll tweet out during the game stuff about hey they've allowed this many points on the last x number of possessions because it's a little bit easier to look at we'll typically jot down the scores of the different uh you know, media timeouts to, to look at it that way, uh, a bit. Um, so that's how I do it. And, you know, try to take a few other notes here and there, just largely with the format of the show in mind in terms of, but particularly if you're hosting, you know, what might be a meaningful moment, what might be, um, you know, some things to point to what's potential banner moment, stuff like that. So I'll typically do it that way, but it's usually on the computer, not really like handwriting stuff. I feel like last season I spent half my time arguing with Ryan during games with all of his uh, tweets, second guessing uh, decisions that were being made on the court. And uh, there's a lot of going back and forth (laughs) during games that maybe took our eye off the preparation. Um, So it's really changed for me, actually, Um, really, you know, kind of since my since my son was born, which is kind of complicated watching games at the house. Uh, You know, when it when we first started the show, you know, I would, I would, you know, kind of clear everything out. I'm here just watching the game by myself. I'm taking notes and tweeting, like really super focused the whole time. And now it's just not like that. Cause a lot of times I'll be kind of keep an eye on my son or, you know, I'll have be putting him to bed. And so I'll have to kind of watch the game and get caught up. And it just like the days of kind of sitting there and taking notes and being hundred percent focused are kind of over. So I've had to kind of find some shortcuts um, to keeping notes and keeping ideas for the meaningful moment and, you know, tracking key plays, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and on the one hand, it makes me feel a little bit less prepared for shows. Cause I kind of liked having that crutch of the notes. Um, but on the other hand, I actually feel now like I, I, I kind of um, what's the right way to put this. Um, I, I feel almost more connected to the game because my head isn't in the notes all the time. And so I actually feel a little bit more in tune with kind of the emotions of the game and the feelings of the game. Um, and, you know, have actually found that I can rely on my memory a little bit more than I sometimes am afraid. Cause I was always really like my furious note taking was really just out of a fear that I would forget like a key moment or forget a key play. And, but I was always use that as, as a crutch. And the last couple of years, not having that, 
I've actually realized that, you know, I can recall things uh, a little bit better, which is good since we do it right after the game. You would think that you'd be able to do that. Um, but having the crutch of the notes really made me rely on them, probably more so than I needed to. Um, so it's actually been one of those things that's been, it's been a, you know, a constraint that's been a blessing because um, I actually found that I enjoyed, it's like the Purdue game last year. Like I got into that game more because I, you know, my son is like there and I'm not able to just like sit and type notes. So I'm actually like up kind of pacing around watching it like I used to. And it felt, it felt better. It felt more fun. Um, so actually I kind of enjoy uh, getting back to that a little bit. Yeah. It's interesting. You said there's times that I would get home from a practice or something. So I wouldn't really have time to, you know, kind of, you know, because to, to a certain extent, like charting, the charting stuff doesn't really help you if you can't do it for the whole game. So you know, I would get back, I would catch up on things, but yeah, then there were times like you that it, it does allow you to just kind of be a, a fan, but uh, I definitely don't trust my memory all that, all that well at this point, although maybe it would be better than I think that it would be, but I, I'm not sure. And there's this from Jim, Jared, you were more of a fan and less an expert. That's cool. I'm just kidding. I appreciate that, Jim. Uh, because actually, because I am a fan first and that, and that's, but that is part of it, um, is, yeah, I mean, look, like we want the show to be as good as possible, you know? So we really, we try to prepare and do as much as we can. And I think that was, that was what would, drove me to just kind of be manic about taking notes and tweeting and like doing all this stuff during the games to be as prepared as possible to do as good of a show as we could. Um, my daughter just came in and told me that she's losing her voice. Okay. <laughs> tell her tell her we hope she finds it. There we go. We do hope she finds it. Um but um I know I lost track of thought. Um but anyway, well, I think, I, I, but I think, anyway, yes, it's been good to get back to just enjoying kind of enjoying the game as a fan and realizing I can still hop on and you know provide what I hope is is good analysis, but at a mid, at a minimum at least move the move the show forward to get to the real analysts. What <laughs> 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 I, you know, it's, it's it's funny though. I think sometimes I I will try to do, in some kinds from a, a, an analytical perspective, trying to bring a different perspective. But I even think from a note taking, just to to kind of make sure you hit stuff and that you don't get. It's kind of a double edged sword. Like you're, you're trying not to get too caught up in the moment, and you're trying not to. Uh, I don't want to say not come off as a fan because I think that's what the whole premise of the the show really is. But I think there's also an element of trying to make sure that it's just uh, maybe more balanced. And so sometimes like writing some things down yeah. helps to remember things or moments that you might otherwise forget that maybe either help tell the story of the game or is an interesting storyline to look at before versus just getting like super caught up in the, you know, the win or the loss or, or whatever else and, and trying to do that. So some ways I feel like I maybe subconsciously try to do that just to have other not not material for to, to go through, but just kind of a maybe a more balanced perspective as opposed to letting the emotion of it really drive most of what we say after the game, which is probably good and bad in, in some ways to be able to uh, at least attempt to strike the balance between those things. Yep. Um, all right, let's get through a couple more quick ones here uh, from Bob Thompson. I'm not advocating for similar sub patterns as last year, but what would your ideal second unit look like? So if you had a second so five. I think, yeah, so I think, well, I mean, I think in order to do this, you have to figure out who the first five is. <laughs> you know, you got left, right? Yes. Um, so, so you wouldn't have Race and Trace. 
you wouldn't have X. Let's assume you don't have Tamar, and then it kind of becomes a question of Miller Copper, Jalen Hutchifino. I guess let's say for the, the sake of argument that uh, Miller Copper is going to be a, a starter uh, to begin the season, which is probably not a, a, a huge leap. Um, so I think that leaves Hutchifino for sure to be the guy, you know, really running the show. Then I think you'd throw in uh, Renault, Geronimo. Um, so that's only three probably Galloway is in Galloway. that mix I would imagine and then you're really looking at kind of depends what you think you're going to do with Geronimo if, if you envision him being uh, a, a four does that open up the the door for like a CJ gun to play a little bit if you envision him being a three maybe that maybe he plays with Caleb Banks or something like that so I guess that that would be my general thoughts it kind of leaves uh, in large part Duncan and Leal on the outside looking in uh it seems like and you know that i guess that's that's how i would i would peg it at this point yeah i think you've got to have xavier johnson or jalen hutchifino running the point uh now again i think both those guys are going to start so it's going to be interesting to see how they stagger that um but then yeah galloway is the secondary playmaker and then i think it's either cop or bates um again i think cop will start open the season as a starter uh, but if I had to make a bold prediction, uh, I guess it would be that Tamar will eventually supplant him and start, and then Cop becomes kind of the scorer off the bench on that second unit. Uh, and then, you know, Geronimo or Banks, yeah, I think you definitely have to give the edge there to Geronimo because of the experience, and then uh, Malik Renault as your, uh, as your backup center. That seems like the best, and there's obviously room for the other guys to step up and, uh, you know, push their way in there, especially if Leal or, and or Gunn can become a consistent three-point shooter. And certainly there's been a lot of hype about Logan Duncan recently. So that's the thing. You know, those are the three guys you leave out, and you could very easily make an argument for why those guys, you know, could become rotation players. And that's the kind of depth that uh, that Indiana has, which is good. Uh, from Jeff, does Jalen Hutchifino become a starter by midseason? Uh, I think he's going to start from day one. Uh I think the more reasonable question is, does he become one of the two or three most essential players on the team by midseason? Um, because I think based on a lot of the things that you hear and the role he's going to fulfill, uh, I think he could be that important to this team. Um, we'll have to see. You know, again, all talk about freshmen is speculative until they actually get out there on the court. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of reasons to, to believe in what he's going to do as a freshman this year, but I definitely think he's going to start um, from the beginning. And then let's end with Mike's question. What is everyone's top five Big Ten most disliked schools? He offered his. Illinois, number one. Wisconsin, number two. Rutgers, number three. Michigan, number four. And Iowa, number five. Is this, is this basketball specific? He just said most disliked schools. So I think it can be more general. Okay. He did well, not I include mean, Purdue got... in his. No, I thought he did. Did he not? No, Illinois. I just assume they're in there and everybody else is competing for second. No, Illinois, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Michigan, and Iowa. No, he but has, maybe that's the uh, bigger uh, dig. Uh, at, maybe that's uh, the bigger sorry. dig at Purdue is they're not even important enough to uh, make it. Oh, uh, sorry. I, I saw what you had listed underneath were yours. I thought that was what he listed. So my, my no. bad. Reading comprehension, not a strength. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I would say Purdue. I would say, I mean, Purdue for sure. I, for me, living in Ohio for the last oh God. 20 two years um ohio state for sure um i think illinois would be in there wisconsin would be in there uh 
Oh, Joel listened to Illinois twice, three times. No, three less, times. So. And Joel might yeah. be right. Excellent. Excellent work. I don't, I don't so, say that often, yeah. but Joel very well may be so right I, on that. Yeah, so I'm at four. I got <laughs> Illinois, Wisconsin, Purdue, and Ohio State. Um, I, I'll let you go with yours while I think about who the fifth is. A lot of, yeah, a lot I mean, of, uh, a lot of good candidates, we'll say. Pur- but. Purdue's number one. Illinois is number two and maybe closer to one than you might expect. And then there's a big line under those two. They're the two most hated for so many different reasons. Um, I know Joel has been having some issues with Illinois fans on Twitter. Uh, you know, just their fans, just all of it. Purdue and Illinois, they're at the top. Uh, I've really come to dislike Iowa. Um, a lot of the stuff that happened with the football team in 2020 and just Fran I don't know. There's just something kind of annoying about Iowa. Uh, Wisconsin is up there. Could put Wisconsin third. There's just, you know, we can't win at that stupid arena. And then their stupid players are named to the preseason All-Big Ten team when they don't deserve it. Uh, And I don't know. Wisconsin annoys me. And then, you know, fifth, I think there's a lot of arguments you could make at five. Um, And I'm probably being a prisoner of the moment. But I really find myself annoyed by Nebraska. And so I put Nebraska here. But they're not really a Big Ten team, so they really probably shouldn't even qualify for this. Um, so it really, you could rotate a lot of teams in here. Ohio State, you could make a great case for them. Uh, Michigan certainly has some very hateable, punchable qualities. Um, <clears throat> but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna stick with Nebraska uh, for right now, and then uh, we'll rotate someone else in there later. What about for I'll you? Do you have a? My, I guess I'll say Michigan, Michigan for my last one. But yeah, I, I felt pretty, I felt pretty strongly about the first four and yeah. the, the last one, <laughs> last one can kind of, we'll just see how things play out with the, you know, there's an odd, there's a sign. Yeah. It says on air. That means the show is on here. Why don't you come say hi? If you're going to come in here, then come, Mom, gonna come, in here, come say hi to everybody. Knock on your door. While the show's going on? <laughs> you're not losing your voice. I can hear your voice. She found her. Okay. Um, excellent. I like Valerie's. I hate everyone except Northwestern. Yes, that is a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. Um, all right. Any uh, any final thoughts here, Andy? Before we wrap up another week of talking IU basketball. No, not a, a lot of good questions. So appreciate everybody sending them in. There were a lot of good questions. A lot of good questions. And by the way, I want to end with this. So we got a comment uh, from Kara. Uh, on our question thread and she said not a question but a comment i live in fort myers florida land of hurricane ian recovery when i got wi-fi back one of the first things i did was download last week's show via podcast it was so wonderful doing something normal just wanted you to know hearing your voices and celebrating iu basketball aided in my recovery uh and obviously first off we were very grateful that kara and her family are okay and didn't get the worst of what hurricane ian uh, had to bring. I lived in Miami for several years after college and went through uh, several hurricanes while I was there. And they just leave devastation in their wake. And it's scary. And we had the power out for a week. And it's just, it's, you know, obviously really difficult living through. Um, but I appreciate uh, Kara writing that there. Because as we've said many times, it can sometimes feel silly coming on here, staring into our computers, talking about uh, a bunch of college guys playing basketball. But I think we all know that we're here for for more than that, for the community and the camaraderie, um, and really for moments like that. Um, and that's what really motivates us. And so to see a message like that makes us feel like a million bucks, Kara. And uh, I appreciate you putting that in there. 
So thank you. Uh, all right. Well, let's close up for the week, and we will be back next week with some more fun IU basketball talk. But that'll do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you ever want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Uh, as always, we thank Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thank you to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back to talk with you next week. Until then. Take it from the green light himself. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Here I come, Mrs. Stansoni. All right. Excellent. Well, hopefully we didn't keep anybody from this riveting uh, 6-6 Colts Broncos game. <laughs> Four minutes left uh, in the third quarter. Holy moly. Dude, so I think it, maybe it was Zach Kiefer or somebody like tweeted out a stat earlier today that, you know, since like the year 2000, the Colts on Thursday night are like 20 and three or something, you know, like, you know, saying, and, and then he, he like followed it up with saying like, you know, the Colts have been really good on Thursday nights and stuff. It's like, you know, some stats are interesting and some stats are meaningful. The best stats are both. That is a stat that might be interesting, but is absolutely meaningless for this Colts team. Cause most of those wins were on the back of Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, who you don't have anymore. So that stat was, you know, some of those stats are just not really, uh, not really worth it. No. But anyway, oh, well. thanks for being here, y'all. Uh, and we will see you guys inside the community and right back here next week. Yep. Thanks, see you, Andy. See you.